Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Neighborhood Watch 2023 football previews continue. The Baylor Bears are up today. Grayson Grundheffer is here with us today. We are previewing Baylor, and nobody is better uh, to talk to about this. Grayson is a colleague here at 365 Sports, Crystal Ball College Football, also editor for Sikkim 365. Uh, this is the one school, Grayson, where I'm actually going to wear I'll wear my apparel because I know we, the, the parent company here has a lot of Baylor ties, so I, I thought I would support the brand with that. Uh, down year last year, obviously, I think is where we have to start. Uh, this was a, this was a team that had a lot of expectations. People saw a small sample size from Blake shape and like what they saw. And, uh, the expectations were pretty high last year, obviously did not meet that. And I think a lot of the, uh, I think a lot of it started on the offensive side because Blake Shapen didn't necessarily take the step. I know we're going to get into it, but it felt like that's where a lot of the blame fell Originally, although the defense was not as good, I, I think, as, as we expected, but a lot, like a lot of it was was quarterback related, or at least that's the general thought. I think that is definitely the general opinion, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's something that when you talk about the media, when you talk about people who I, I would say I'm not going to say casual fans, um, because there were things that Blake did that was not good. I, like I fully admit that, but there were other factors um, that I don't think people fully acknowledge when they kind of talk about Blake Shapen and what happened last year. And the simple fact of the matter is you have a defensive minded head coach and the defense was not good. The second part of it is the receiving core should have been addressed by the transfer portal. And Dave Brand has mentioned that multiple times. They were not good enough at that position uh, for Blake Shapen to be successful. Uh, and then also, you know, I think some of it is also a little bit of complacency, right? Coming off of that 2021 Big 12 championship season. And you kind of put all that together. And then all you see every weekend is, oh, a costly fumble by Blake Shapen or a costly turnover. And then it just turns into it's all about Blake Shapen. When in reality, they just had some issues last year that they were not able to correct uh, throughout the season. And, you know, mentally, they were not where they were uh, during the 2021 season. Yeah, it was it was up and down. I mean, you know, they'd have two losses followed by I think it was two wins, then two losses, then the three wins and the four losses. Right? I mean, it was it was the mixed bag of all mixed bags. Let's go on offense. Um, so Blake Shapen, you know, and I've had this conversation with so many people about what makes quarterbacks get better in college, and sometimes they just get older. And he really, you know, he was, you know, he last year was his first time as a full-time starter. And in that receiving core, I think we talked, you mentioned it too. Like they, they did not have a great relationship with Blake Shapen just because they hadn't, you know, they hadn't played with him a ton. Right. And they, they began to at least try and form that. And he's got a different group of guys in this year, but for him, I mean, what have, what has been the noticeable differences that you've heard out of camp or not? Cause I know that there was a challenge from Sawyer Robinson. I know people wanted Kyron drones to kind of maybe stick around to, to present more of a challenge because Robinson's a pretty young guy. Um, but, uh, you know, 
to you, like what, what, what have you been hearing about Shapin's hopeful, I guess, progress during camp? Right. So I think it was great that they had a direct quarterback competition. And I will say, I think Sora Robertson is a better quarterback than Kyron Drones. Um, they were both in the 2019 class, actually. And it's rather interesting because I, or the 2021 class, sorry. And so it's rather interesting, right? Because Kyron, we got to see some flashes. Uh, he came in in the West Virginia game and mm-hmm. was not very good, but had, you know, a couple moments that made you go, hey, that, that looked kind of good or that. That maybe is a sign towards the future, but in general, he just was never ready to play. And so they went out, he left the program. He's at Virginia tech. Now I believe he's still in a quarterback. He's not going to, I don't think he's going to play, which I'm not sure it's a smart idea, but it sounds like he's not going to play. <laughs> right. And, and so there you go with that. And Sora Robertson, on the other hand, he comes back from Mississippi state. Uh, he's from Lubbock. And so it was just the, just an amazing connection with Mike Leach. And so once Mike Leach passed and then, he was still behind Will Rogers, who's a very established quarterback there at Mississippi State. He decided to make the move to Baylor and come in and compete. And in fairness, you know, the competition for him was a little tough because he's coming from an air raid offense to an offense that is just not even close to that at Baylor. And so a lot to work on there. And I just, he was not ready to challenge Shapin quite yet. And Coming into the fall, you know, I think, again, this is Blake Shapin's team going into the fall, but I do think that Sora Robertson's going to be a lot better come the fall and a lot more ready to at least be the backup quarterback. And if you've watched Baylor football long enough, you know, eventually they're probably going to need their backup quarterback, whether that's injury or, um, you know, just missing a couple plays here and there or bad quarterback play in general. So I think this was great for Shapin. Now, as far as him specifically, leadership. Leadership is the biggest area he's improved from a year ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were upset about the Gary Bohannon decision, um, the staff moving on from him and going with Blake Shapin. And the biggest area it hurt them was leadership. Um, it didn't hurt them from a talent standpoint. It don't If you've heard people say, oh, yeah, you know, they'd be able to run the same offense in 2021 and still be good in 2022, it wasn't going to happen that way. No. They had to be more dynamic passing the football. And so okay. Blake just needed to take that step as a leader. And he's done that. He's added a little bit of weight. I just, I think there's things about him that are really coming together for him to be much more successful this year and much more ready to handle the pressure and responsibility that comes with being a division one quarterback. Yeah. Cause he, you know, and, and notice just, we were around him for a little bit. You were, you've been around him more than that. It does not seem like the most talkative guy, at least, you know, in media and whatnot, which is okay. It's fine. But you know, it's, it's so interesting. You mentioned the decision and, and I, I still would go with it's still the right call because you go back and watch the 2021 team dynamic is not a word that we would use to describe uh, the offense for Baylor in 2021. Right. Uh, the, the big 12 championship mm-hmm. game was a meeting, ironically, a meeting of Baylor and Oklahoma state where neither team's offense was particularly great. Right. Those were defensive football teams, but that's why you make the change to Blake shape. And I just don't think, I think sometimes we forget it's just, it's not, especially when they're kids, it's not natural, right? I mean, you and I, you know, our twenties, you know, I believe you're still in your twenties. I'm in my twenties and like college wasn't that far away. Mm And I remember how much I learned about myself. And like, I only imagine what these guys, you know, and I think Will Howard is the example. I use all the time. Terrible, obviously at, at times. And then everybody says how much things slow down for him. And I think it's a real chance that that's what happens for Blake here. I do have some questions though about what is around him. So 
I think Jeff Grimes, the one thing that he does a really good job of, like they elevate offensive line. So I think we saw, I guess, what was it? 2020 Baylor's offensive line was really bad. Then 2021, mm-hmm. they played really well. Right. And I guess last year, probably you'd say somewhere in the middle is, is the right way to describe it. How good is this offensive yeah. line going to be this year? Because they definitely had to retool some and obviously wide zone. This is going to be a team that's still, I think, run first. Yeah, so I mean, I would say they performed below expectations a year ago, but I wouldn't say they were right. bad. Like if you go watch yeah. some of those games, like specifically the TCU game, I mean, they they moved TCU. Oklahoma? They, they imposed they, their they will. They moved Oklahoma them. too, yeah. Move Oklahoma. I mean, they had some great performances up front. I just think mentally they were weak. And that's just something that was consistent last year. Just when times got tough, they weren't responding like they did in 2021. Uh, One thing I do want to say, you mentioned the 2021 Big 12 championship game. One thing I want to mention, Baylor had 21 points at halftime, led by Blake Shapin with three passing touchdowns. And he got injured. He injured his shoulder uh, and ended up being out for a long time after that injury that he suffered early in the third quarter. So, yeah, the offenses didn't look great, but I think that game. I meant to that point. I meant to that point. I meant. I meant what got yeah. what got them there. Obviously, to to that for point, sure. they were not known for explosive offense. De- definitely. So uh, back to the offensive line a little bit. They retooled, right? They had to. Yeah. Lost all five of their starters, so they went out, got the Barrington brothers from BYU. Mm-hmm. Big thing there. You're getting a guy who I believe Clark is 25 and Campbell is 24. So you're getting old, seasoned veterans on the offensive line. Clark's going to come in and actually move from guard and play center for Baylor this year. Uh, Eric Mateos and the staff have been really happy with what they've seen from him. Campbell, on the other hand, is going to be a left tackle for Baylor, replacing Connor Galvin, who was the 2021 offensive lineman of the year. I actually think Campbell's a better pro prospect. So if it all comes together, I think Campbell's more athletic and everything along those lines. And I think in general, you know, the sense that I'm getting is they're a hungrier unit. And on the offensive line, I don't know that there's a much better position that you want to be hungry than that position. So you're seeing young guys like Tate Williams and George Maye and, you know, an older guy like Gavin Byers is getting pushed. Like he's going to have to really earn a starting spot uh, for this team. And then other guys like Elijah Ellis and Caden Siraki. So I think they've done a nice job on the offensive line retooling around Blake Shapin while also trying to add some weapons to make them more explosive in the pass game. Yeah, so weapons wise, Keytron Jackson is the one you know. The, I think the big one people saw coming in. Uh, I like Hal Presley and Monterey Baldwin. I I think that just they just need some time, right? I think like a lot of these things, like it's it's just time to build. Uh, and then if I'm I'm not correct, I mean I'm not tell me if I'm wrong here. Everybody's been talking about Armani Winfield. I feel like I've been seeing that name pop up a bunch as far as freshman goes. I don't really know how much his involvement will be. Uh, but I, I feel like people have said some, some, you know, some pretty encouraging things about him. So what can you tell us about the receiving core this year? Do you think we're going to see a bit more of a, a bit more cohesion between the quarterback, Blake Shape and, and, and what is somewhat of a returning group of wide receivers? Definitely. I think cohesiveness is a big thing uh, for sure. You know, and you saw the connection between he and Monterey Baldwin from a year ago. Yes. Uh, Monterey just couldn't stay healthy. I mean, he got hurt multiple times last year. And the problem there was his true backup, Jordan Neighbors, was also hurt. And so both of them being hurt, those are kind of their slot gadget guys who are really effective in the open field and also downfield throws as well. Um, so Neighbors is another name to keep an eye on. He'll be a redshirt freshman. He's very, very good, very explosive. He'll remind you a lot of Monterey, to be honest. So two mm-hmm. Monterey's on the field. That's pretty fun. 
Um, you look at Keetron Jackson. Uh, okay, so the comparison I've gotten for him, and I don't know, and I've seen it on the field, so take it for what you will. I'm not saying he is this player, but he plays a lot like C.D. Lamb did. And mm. it's this ability to create yards after the catch that makes C.D. so special. Like when he caught the football 10 yards down the field, you were worried that he was going for a 50-yard touchdown. And that's something that Keytron brings to the table while also just showing an ability to win on the outside, which they did not have a year ago. He's a true alpha for this team. I expect him to be by far the best receiver on this team, the most mm. consistent. And also I expect him to be a borderline all big 12 guy if they wow. throw the ball enough, um, if they throw it enough, which is a huge question in the Baylor offense right. because even Tyquan Thornton, who was phenomenal in 2021, like the guy's metrics were great. But he didn't have massive numbers because, you know, it's it, Baylor's going to run the football first and foremost. So he's a very, very good player, big time weapon. And then also Baylor's going to use their tight ends. And so Jake Roberts, Drake Dabney are two names to keep an eye on there, as well as Kelsey Johnson. So very deep room at that position. So again, this year, no excuses as far as weapons go. I think Blake Shapin's got a nice little arsenal uh, to throw the football to. And then we have to go, obviously, to the backs, right? This offense mm -hmm. is centered around the backs and they've got. At least one guy who I think is is awesome in uh, Richard Reese, and then I I mean I think Dominic Richardson's like I think he's good I think he's solid I think it's good they have him I think Richard Reese is is I hate to say this I think he's considerably better than 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 Dominic Richardson is but I think Dominic Richardson you know do a little bit of everything for you but I think the upside Reese has is he he really good vision I feel like really good balance like all the stuff you like to see from an NFL running back I feel like Richard Reese has. Um, and so, you know, I, he's got to be the number one, but it's nice. They've got a, a pretty good stable when you run the ball as much as Baylor does. It is. And you mentioned Richard Reese, and I think that it's going to surprise people when you go to the end of the season and you sit there and you realize that Dominic Richardson has more rushing yards than Richard Reese by the end of the year. And that would not surprise me. And I think that would surprise people for me to say that because Richard Reese is on first team all big 12 and all these honors and is a very good player. Don't get me wrong. Like he's going to get a ton of touches. Baylor spreads out the carries, but Dominic Richardson is much more like Abram Smith, which is what worked really well in 2021. Right. He's a guy who he's not going to give you, you know, these, these, you know, 50 yard carries. He's not going to do that. But what he is going to do is he's going to get you first downs. He's going to get you four yards just about every time he gets the football and he's going to be consistent. And those are the things that Baylor definitely wants. So him, he and Richard Reese are going to be much more of a one-two punch than I think people realize. And thus, it might take away some of Reese's numbers in production. But I think in general, it's going to help this offense because Reese got banged up by the end of the year last year. He needs more help. He's not the biggest guy. So having Dominic Richardson and these other guys like Quaylen Jones played a lot last year. Bryson Washington will be back. They got a good unit there. Has Reese put on any weight? I mean, because once again, he's not big. And if you're going to run this much, I mean, because I understand the Richardson part of it. He is, he is not as good of a runner, but he, he can, he will run the ball more, right? Like he is a volume guy mm -hmm. uh, and definitely kind of a yeah. good situational runner. Has Reese put on any weight? Because obviously his frame, he's not, we mentioned he's not a big guy. Um, I mean, I guess he's listed at like what, 178, 175 last year, whatever it was. And the 5'9, it's actually pretty. It's, it's relatively big for like being a five, nine person, but uh, you know, I guess, I guess no, it's, it's, it's like pretty normal, but has he put on weight at all? A little bit. I think if you talk yeah. to the staff by the end of last year, 
he was not heavy. Like he had lost so much weight. I, I would bet he was running at like 165 by the end of the year, Yikes. just because you lose weight during the season. Right. Like that happens to you. Right. And so now I think he's more at a true solid between 175 and 180, which is a much better weight for him. But again, you just want to make sure he can sustain that throughout the yeah. entire season. That That's huge for them. They needed him at the end of the year and they're going to need him at the end of this year. So on defense, you know, that's Dave Aranda's, that's obviously uh, his specialty. They go a different direction, obviously, with coordinator now. They lost some guys up front. I mean, in the back end of this defense looks pretty new. But the good thing is there are some familiar faces up front, especially in the form of, of TJ Franklin and Gabe Hall. So is that going to be the strength, the f- defensive line, the front for Baylor? Is that going to be uh, where this thing starts for them on defense, which actually it normally is? Yeah, it definitely should. And I mean, you talk about Gabe Hall, TJ Franklin, TJ had an amazing spring. Uh, He had over 20 sacks during spring practices, which was a record uh, for Dave Aranda that he's ever seen. I mean, it was phenomenal what he did during the spring. So they talked about that a ton. Gabe Hall, a lot of it is effort with Gabe. And I think he's turning a corner a little bit, knowing this is his last year, a chance to really be an NFL draft pick. Um, this spring's been huge for him. So you put those two together, but then you go out and look at what they did in the transfer portal. They got Trevin Maya from Oregon. Uh, recently, actually this week, they got Justin Sambu, who was at Maine. So he's transferring in uh, as well to add more depth to the position. Uh, they have some young guys to keep an eye on, like Jackie Marshall, who played some last year. Uh, he'll be very good. And then I think guys like Trey Wilson, they have other guys. They have a lot of options, a lot of big strong physical guys, 6'4", 270 plus guys who are going to fit in really nicely up front for Baylor. I'm expecting them to be really deep at that position um, and play a lot of guys. So it starts with TJ and it starts with Gabe, uh, but it doesn't end with them. They, they got a lot of talent there and a lot of guys who, are, who fit the mold of what Matthew Pallage is trying to build on the defensive line, which is to be a little bit more aggressive getting after the quarterback and less just about controlling. Because if you've watched Baylor, you know, in 2021 and last year, it was just about controlling up front. You had Apu Ika taking up room, and then you allow the linebackers to go make plays and get sacks. They want this unit to attack more and be more about getting into the backfield and creating sacks on the defensive line instead of relying, relying on second-level guys. So is there, is there going to be any schematic change with, with Prowledge coming in? Uh, he was Cody C at or, uh, Oregon. Is a Texas guy, so it's good to get good to get him back in the state. Obviously, uh, is is there anything schematically people will notice different from Baylor's defense this year? Besides the attacking part of it, the big thing I think is you, right? So obviously, creating the pass rush from your front four uh, that's big. Um, they went out, got Byron Vaughns from Utah State, another pass rushing guy. So they're really trying to build that. That's very clear. They're also going to play more press coverage on the outside. Last year. They didn't have the ability to do that, and they played a lot of zone. And if you go look at those third down numbers, you can see exactly where the impact was. And they just – they played such soft coverage because they didn't want to give up big plays over the top. And while that works, you still got to figure out ways to get off the field, and they simply couldn't. So you're going to see more press coverage, more chances, try to create more turnovers in that way. I mean, I think those are the biggest things. The other area that is rather interesting is – Uh, Matt Jones and Mike Smith, the two projected starting linebackers for Baylor, uh, they came in at, I believe, 235 and two, or I'm sorry, 225 and 230, respectively. 
And now Matt Jones is at 246 and Mike Smith is at 240. Um, so mm. I think Pallage is really trying to put an emphasis on those linebackers being more uh, active as part of the run and really being run stuffers instead of just being fast athletic guys. I, I think he's really made that a focus uh, for the linebacking core as well. What about the secondary this year? It seems like there's going to be some some turnover back there. Obviously, you talked about them playing a lot of zone this year. What, what's the expectation for the, for the back end? Right. I, I think that's an area of concern, uh, to be honest with you. They had some struggles last year. The only guy they really have returning that's shown production is Devin Lemire, who I actually thinks of a very, very good football player. He'll start at one of the safety spots. I'm expecting Devin Bobby and Corey Gordon to start at uh, safety and then at star. Corey's making the move to star for fall camp. So put that together. you got a lot of young guys, redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, playing safety. So still some weakness there, but I do think these guys are upgrades from what they were playing last year. The guys last year just did not gel. They were not cohesive. They were older guys who didn't fit Dave Randa's scheme per se. And so I think this group will fit more what he wants. Now, as far as the cornerback goes, you know, they went out, brought in two transfers, Isaiah Dunson and Ajani Carter uh, to play, to start at cornerback. Uh, but I do think it's going to end up being a Johnny Carter and Chateau Reed, who's actually uh, an older guy in the room who's excelled uh, this spring. He's been mentioned a lot by Dave Aranda. So I think you'll have him and a Johnny Carter starting at corner, which is pretty solid. You got some older guys there and then good depth with Tevin Williams and Isaiah Dunson uh, coming off the bench. So while there are concerns, I do think you can see some bright spots with a couple veterans being added and just some promise of the talent really emerging. So when I look at the schedule this year for them, it's honestly, I think it's, I think it's pretty, the first part of it's pretty favorable. The first two months are pretty favorable. Uh, I'm not sure how you look at, at schedules, Grayson. I am a quadrant uh, or I break it up in threes or fours. Normally that's the way I do it. And I guess now as now as I'm, I'm like a you know, real professional in the real world, I do it month by month, I guess. Cause that's kind of the way, you know, all of our lives mm -hmm. go. I mean that it's not an easy month of September, but, it, it's all at home, which is a great, a great, great, great thing to have. That Utah game's a, at a great time because uh, we're not sure if Cam Rising is going to be available and ready to play that game. Also, not sure it would matter. Utah, notoriously slow starters. Uh, you know, and, and then they've got mm -hmm. Long Island to break that up, Texas State first. Um, then they've got Texas at home. So, you know, they've got a chance uh, to, to do some serious damage. And I mean, you know, I think three and one either way. If you beat Texas, well, I don't really even know how to say it. If you have four and oh, I mean, you're, you've announced yourself. I guess the three and one in the month of September will kind of depend on how it looked, but a really good chance to announce yourself as a title contender, especially you could maybe drop the Utah game. But if you, if you beat Texas, you'd announce yourself as a contender because obviously Texas in the league, you want to have that win, you know, for potential tiebreakers. Mm -hmm. So I look at that start, man. Uh, we're going to learn a lot really quickly uh, about this Baylor team. I agree. I think you're going to know whether they are for real or not. I mean, point blank because Utah, yeah, Cam Rising might be injured or might not be 100%, but they're going to play defense and they're going to be still very stout up front like they are every single year. And that's going to be a grind, a grind of a game. I think it's a game Baylor can, and I would almost say should win though, uh, particularly because Utah will have played Florida the week before. 
Um, I just I, I think that there are some signs that Baylor should be able to win that game. The Texas game, I have more question marks about. Um, Texas is really good, and Texas does the thing that I think Baylor could struggle with, and that is having so many weapons on the outside. And if their quarterback play improves, they could really attack Baylor's secondary in a way that I don't think anyone else on their schedule can. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think which that, will be true for Texas in a lot of their games. They will be able to attack secondaries in a in a much different way than yeah. than most of the competition will be able to handle. For sure. Now, the, the question really is, you know, will Texas be able to, to move the ball on the road? And is Quinn Ewers a better quarterback than he was a year ago? We'll see right. on that. Uh, but I think in general, that should be on paper a very tough matchup for Baylor in that first month. But if they start three and one, Josh, I think you're exactly right. Now that's a team that everyone's going to be looking at as, oh, OK, they might be for real this year. Yeah, because that middle part of the schedule at UCF, your first road game on the 30th. Texas Tech at home, at Cincinnati, and then Iowa State. I mean, you get the two schools that have remained in the conference. Both of those come to you, and you get two newcomers on the road. Honestly, you know, regardless of what happens, I mean, we could even say three and one, you lose a Texas game, or even two and two, even doesn't go well. You've got a chance to now. I wouldn't want to be two and two heading to UCF. Like that's a big question asking game. But you know, if things break the right way, like you have a chance to maybe even find your rhythm if you have not found it in month number one, because I think the big thing for me is they've got two very, very winnable games in the final month of the season uh, when they take on Houston. And then they've got also at the end of the year, West Virginia, but yikes that at Kansas state at TCU double, double header, man, that is, that is, that's, it smells all kinds of trouble for any big 12 title, you know, title hopes if you are not in the right position heading into those two games. Definitely. And I mean, if you remember last year, Baylor actually went into the last month of the season six and three and they were sitting there like, hey, get Kansas State and TCU at home back to back weeks. And K-State beat them really badly. But the the TCU game, it was right there for them. But the TCU game, it was right. I mean, they should have won that game. Honestly, they all played TCU. Um, You could say that about a lot of teams last year versus TCU, though, which is just a crazy year for them. But I I think in general, you're on to something here. Like, I think if they can get into that last month of the season and they're sitting there at, you know, six and two, um, that's pretty good. Uh, there's some winnable games on there. And, you know, it's all about momentum. College football is all about momentum. And so if they go into those last two games and they're playing with house money to try to make it to a Big 12 championship game, you never know. You might be able to catch the breaks and you might be able to be better than people think, or maybe they're not as good as people think. So schedule does lay out pretty well. Eight home games in all. Uh, that's a pretty good place to be. Uh, so over under, actually, I I was I was bad bad host and look at this before. What is the over under for them on the year for win total? I'm assuming it's like yeah, what, so, six and a half, seven. Yeah, so it, it opened at seven and a half, but I think you can mm. get it at some places at six and a half uh, now. So what are you feeling on that? How, how are you feeling about about Baylor this year, record wise? Because I, I said, look, and I like this for the schedule too. If I were to pick a if I were to pick a team from the middle tier that I like the best to make that run, because I, I think to me right now, I know Oklahoma's got the talent, but like they have to prove it to me under Brent Venables before I feel pretty good. I think it's Texas. I'll put K-State up with them because they have, they retain a lot from that team last year. But I think Texas is clear number one in terms of talent and what they're getting back and all that stuff. I think Kansas State's clear number two. They both belong in that top tier. Then there's the middle group. And I, I love Mike Gundy, but I'm not sure I can trust that roster at all. Oklahoma's got to show me, despite all the talent they have. 
Kansas, I don't know about the depth. We saw what happened to them last year. Baylor's the group that I kind of fall to and be like, look, they might not have a lot proven, but if I trust Dave Aranda to coach up a group of players and also the staff as well, too, uh, especially in offense, too, and, you know, and, and would anybody be shocked? Like, oh, Blake Shapin just needed the year to get older and the run game still looks good. You know, I think there's like, I would not be shocked if Baylor was in the Big 12 championship game. I did not pick them, but I could see that happening. And so I, I think because of that, I, I would go with the over on the, on the win total. Right. I think they are a, a Big 12 contender, Big 12 championship contender. Um, I don't think I would say that, like, I don't think people should put them there. I could understand no. the reasoning for it or like saying, hey, Baylor's a great bet this year. Maybe like TCU was last year, right? Where it's like this under the radar mm-hmm. type team that makes a push in case State would have fit that bill as well as they actually, you know, won the Big 12 last year. But I think in general, you know, I think TCU and Baylor are actually the two best bets in the conference as far as a team that was picked below fourth that could make a run to the Big 12 championship. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for value. Uh, And I do think Baylor's going to hit the over. Six and a half is a slam dunk for me. I, I, I would be stunned if they went six and six this year. And seven and a half, I think, is actually okay odds too because I do think eight and four seems rather likely. Uh, with the schedule they have in front of them. Um, if I were to pick a record, I think I'm hovering between eight and four and nine and three. Uh, there are a couple swing games on there, and a lot of it's going to come down to how do they play on the road in those couple games and how do they start the season. Um, those are some of the things that I have questions about. But somewhere in that eight and four, nine and three puts them squarely above uh, the over-under. Yeah, if you feel really good about it, uh, over the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, plus 152 on the over seven and a half. So there's a good value there. All right, Grayson, where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Right. So my Twitter is at Greg Grundhafer. Um, I pretty much only tweet about big 12 Baylor and that's pretty much it. And then as far as, uh, you know, YouTube, I'm on crystal ball college football with you, Josh. And of course, uh, with Jack and Garrett as well. Uh, so a lot of my content's there, realignment, college football in general. I stay away from the Big 12 a little bit because with my day job, I talk so much about the Big 12. So I do a little bit more national type stuff for the channel there. Um, and then outside of that, I'm, I'm a uh, editor on, co-editor on Sikkim 365. So if you're a Baylor fan, definitely be sure to check that out. We have some of the best content in the industry. We cover every single sport, 365 days of the year covering Baylor athletics. Grayson Grudaver, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.